Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're listening with us today. So here's a question. Have you ever felt judged? There, right there in that moment, you thought of a time you felt someone judged you. We've all experienced it, and truthfully, we've all done it too. Today we're continuing our series called Judge Not. We're going to deep dive into this topic of judgment and what God's standards really are. Last week, we saw that Jesus didn't come to give us information like rules and standards, but rather he was seeking for us to be transformed through a relationship with him. Today, we're going to continue to see how religion gets in the way of that relationship and how it leads to a critical spirit that hurts others and ultimately hurts ourselves. So let's find out more about unlearning religion. Here's Pastor Nicole. Well, welcome to week two of our series called Judge Not. The passage of scripture that we are turning our attention to for these several weeks is from Matthew chapter seven. Now, this passage is a snapshot from a sermon that Jesus preached, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find it in Matthew chapter five through seven. It has very widely known sections in it, including the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. And so as you read it, I'm sure you'll see some familiar, maybe passages that you've heard about before. Now, the premise of Jesus' sermon is that people, the people he was preaching to, were focusing on the man-made rules of religion. And they were missing the point of the relationship they were supposed to be pursuing with God. And basically, Jesus is saying this, I didn't come to earth to just give you information. I came for you to experience transformation. It's not just about information. It's about change. It's about transformation. And sometimes we need to unlearn old habits, old patterns, old ways of thinking so we can relearn the right things. And unlearning religion is really vital to experiencing a relationship with God. And we need to unlearn religion so that we can relearn how to love, specifically how to love God and how to love others. And we see that in the scripture, Jesus is saying that's the most important thing. If you're not loving God and loving others, then you're missing the point entirely. So during this series, I want to challenge you to carefully examine your own heart. Uh, carefully think about, maybe, maybe you'll uh, set aside some extra time this week to just be quiet before the Lord. Or maybe when you're planning to take a drive uh, to the store and you're all by yourself, don't turn on the radio or listen to a podcast, but just get some quiet before the Lord and ask yourself this question, where are you just going through the motions in your spiritual life? Where are you just going through the motions? What part of your relationship with God feels stale or dry or forced? And really think about that and begin to see how religion maybe has potentially replaced part of your relationship with God. So the passage that we're focusing on is Matthew 7 verses 1 through 6. And I'd like to read it to you this morning as we begin. It says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet 
and turn and tear you to pieces. And so last week, as we started this series, uh, we talked about how um, the high jump is an excellent illustration for this passage. Now, high jump is a track and field uh, sport where athletes run down a long path and they try to jump over uh, a bar that is set at a certain height. And the idea is that they'll jump over it, clear the bar, and will not dislodge the bar. uh, And that makes them successful. And so I talked about this illustration of the high jump when it comes to judging others. Jesus explains in the Sermon on the Mount that there was this group of people um, who kept moving the bar, right? They continued to take that uh, like a high jump. They moved the bar to all different uh, types of heights. And, And in fact, they would move it just when you thought that you were reaching the standard, they would move it again. And they were called the Pharisees. And honestly, they weren't clearing the bar either, they were, but they were condemning others who couldn't clear the bar. And so they were constantly moving the target, constantly moving the standard, uh, which created this religion that was basically impossible to live out. We also talked about how Jesus addresses that we can't just simply remove the bar. We can't just simply take the bar down and say, well, there is no standard at all, because when we do that, we actually uh, cheapen the love of God. Having no standard at all is not helpful. Uh, There is right and wrong. We are not the author of our own truth. And so as tempting or as easy as it may feel to take the standard away, Ultimately, that leads to chaos and despair and darkness. And in fact, accepting and loving others doesn't mean that we just take away the bar and take away the standard and that there's nothing for us to actually strive for. But most importantly, we talked about how God has a standard of holiness and that standard is unreachable. That there is no way to be holy and perfect like God. There, there is no way to be as perfect and holy as God calls us to be. And so what we need in order to reach that standard is Jesus to lift us over the bar. That Jesus Christ died on a cross and then he rose again in three days from the grave. He made the ultimate sacrifice to bridge the gap of our own failures. And we talked about how Jesus lifts us over the bar, a bar that we could never get over ourselves, that Jesus lifts us over the bar. And the job of the church and the job of the the follower of Jesus is to not stand around and measure other people's faith by moving the bar or to take the bar away, but to introduce people to Jesus, who is the only one that can lift us over the bar in victory. And we need to say to the world, look, we're right here with you. All of humanity is in the same boat. We're hopeless. We're drifting at sea without the Savior of the world. But his name is Jesus, and he changed everything. And the grace of God can help get us over the bar. Now, if we are being honest with ourselves, today I just want to expand a little bit on this above-the-bar living, okay? This standard that Jesus is saying, look, you'll never reach it, but I can lift you above the bar. I want to talk a little bit about what it's like to live above the bar, this life of holiness that God is asking of us. And and like I was saying, if, if we're being really honest with ourselves, there are areas, there are circumstances in our life that um, when we battle them long enough, we tend to just settle. 
Perhaps our, our confidence takes a hit or our ambition and our drive fade away. Uh, sometimes we just get so frustrated with life that we think if we just settle on something, that thing will create uh, the desire that we're looking for. And, and oftentimes we settle gradually and don't even realize it's happening until later when we realize we settled for something uh, much less than we wanted or that we felt called to. We settle on our health, we settle on, in our marriage, we settle in our relationships, uh, maybe we settle in our role at work or we settle into financial strain, it's just always going to feel this way. You know, maybe even most importantly to talk about today, we settle spiritually. We don't see a new and fresh movement of God or his presence. We don't search for that anymore. Maybe we don't pursue spiritual gifts or spiritual fruit. And we just stay in the rut that we're in. And we go through the motion spiritually over and over and over. And we just settle. When the battle is long, we settle. When the journey is hard, we settle. And today, I really believe in my spirit that somebody needs to hear these incredibly clear and simple prophetic words, and that's this. And I, and I know it's for someone here today, it's for someone watching today, that no matter what God is saying, stop settling. Stop settling. Because when we settle below the bar, we settle below the blessing. When we settle below the bar, when we say, you know what, the journey has been too hard. It feels like the circumstances have been so difficult. I'll never make it over the bar. When we settle below the bar, we settle below the blessing. The blessing comes when we allow Jesus to lift us over the bar. And God is saying to us today, listen, aim higher. Aim higher. Get inside the arena of blessing for your life. Live your life above the bar. Don't settle for anything less than God's standard of holiness and God's standard of perfection. Never quit growing. Never quit learning. Never quit pushing and seeking after God's heart. And in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talked about the Beatitudes, one of them, which is from Matthew 5, 6, said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, righteousness is life above the bar. It's a blessed life. And if you hunger and thirst for it, the scripture says, you will be filled. And so ask Jesus to lift your marriage or your relationship or their lack of up over the bar. Ask Jesus to lift your career dreams and goals up over the bar. Ask Jesus to help you parent your kids up over the bar. Because when we settle for life under the bar, we settle for a life of less blessing. We settle below the blessing. So stop settling for a life below the bar. Remember, we can't just try harder to get above the bar. If I tried all week long, all month long, all year long, I could never clear that high jump over the bar. We cannot just settle. It's nothing to do with our own effort. We can never get over the bar in our own strength. But the scripture says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, your life will be filled with it. And that's what we need is Jesus to lift us over the bar in all areas of our life. So I want to look closer at Matthew 7, uh, specifically today at verses 3 through 5. So let's review them. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck 
out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So several months ago, I was uh, flying to a conference by myself. This was prior to uh, COVID and all the things. I was flying at an airplane, and I I do have a little bit of flight anxiety. Um, I can usually push through it fairly well, but I I mean, I actually think when people tell me they love flying and like they have no hesitations, I never quite understand because let's face it, uh, you're in a giant aluminum tube thousands of feet in the air trusting a stranger to get you to a destination that you've never been. Um, but so so that that's a big faith jump if you have no fear of flying. But on this particular flight, we kept getting delayed uh, because of ice and because of weather. And uh, I was sitting there for quite some time, um, of course, making friends with the passengers around me. And uh, the pilot announced that we would be taking off soon and for us to prepare. And so uh, as I was sitting there, out came the pilot from the cockpit, which always surprises you a little bit when they come and, uh, you know, they're talking amongst the passengers. And he came right to my row. And as I looked up at him, I thought, am I in trouble or did I win something? You know, like I wasn't sure what was happening. And he asked me if I could open the shade on the window so he could see out the airplane window, which was a little bit strange. But I said, okay, and I opened it up. And then it got weirder. Uh, He pulled out of his pocket a flashlight, like a $4 flashlight from Walmart, and he shined the flashlight out the window. He leaned over me, shined the flashlight out the window, and he said, excuse me, uh, I just wanted to see the wing. And I thought, yeah, you know that, I'm... We need the wings. Okay, this is like, we need the wings to take off. Thank you for checking to make sure that we actually have the wings. I feel very safe and hopeful that we have survival. Uh, and, and, and it was just the most bizarre experience. And then we flew off and everything was fine. And I still don't know why he checked the wing, but apparently he wanted to just make sure that everything was safe and sound out my window. Now, when you're on an airplane, uh, there is this little light that comes on uh, to tell you when you're in flight. It's usually uh, to tell you when you need to keep your seatbelt on. And this passage, when it, how does this all relate? You might be asking me, okay, Pastor Nicole, where are you going with this? Well, here's the deal. This passage about the speck and the plank that we just read reminds me that when it comes to our spiritual journey, we always have to remain in flight, Okay, we always have to have this concept that we are always in flight because religion allows us to believe that we have arrived. Religion allows us to believe that we have arrived, but relationship reminds us that we are in process. Relationship reminds us that we are in flight. Okay, religion says you've already figured it out. You've already met the expectations and all the rules. And so you have the right to be, uh, to look down on someone. You have the right to call someone out on their sin. But relationship says, look, we are always in flight. Your spiritual journey will always be a journey that you're taking in flight and not in arrival. You know, religion criticizes others with this expectation that they should have arrived already. Have you ever thought, he should know better by now. Or she doesn't even realize how rude she is. She, she should know better by now. But you see, relationship constantly reminds us to give others grace because we are all in flight. We are all in flight. None of us have arrived 
that gives us the ultimate ability to look at someone and, and decide if they have arrived or not. You know, Jesus was giving this example to the Pharisees who had believed that they had arrived spiritually. Jesus is preaching to this group of people who thinks they've arrived spiritually. They believe they had it all together, but it says they were walking around with huge planks in their eyes. I brought a plank here just to show you, just to give you a visual today, that these people were walking around with these huge planks in their eyes. And they were saying, you know, I have an attitude of arrival. I have an attitude of pride, of information. I have all the information, but none of the transformation. And in relationship with God and with each other, an attitude of, of arrival is extremely dangerous. And that's what the scripture is telling us. In fact, in Luke 18, 9 through 14, there is an incredible example of this. And I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says this, Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced that they were morally upright and those who trusted in their own virtue, yet looked down on others with disgust. Okay, that's an exact example of what we just read about people with a plank in their eye. Verse 10 says, once there were two men who went into the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader, the other a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed, How I thank you, O God, that I'm not wicked like everyone else. They're cheaters, swindlers, and crooks like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast from food twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all I make. And verse 13 says, The tax collector stood off alone in the corner, away from the holy place and covered his face in his hands, feeling that he was unworthy to even look up to God. Beating his breast, he sobbed with brokenness and tears, saying, God, please, in your mercy, and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of all sinners. And then verse 14 says, which one of them left for home that day made right with God? It was the humble tax collector and not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be humiliated before all, and everyone who humbles himself will one day be lifted up and honored before all. You know, the tax collector knew that he had not arrived, and that was the type of attitude and prayer that pleased God. And that was such a good example of seeing how the religious leader believed that he had it all figured out, but little did he know he didn't realize that he was walking around with a plank in his eye. He couldn't even see his own unrighteousness, but he was quick to point out other people's. You know, the enemy tricks us into thinking, if our lives are not ship shape, then we don't belong in church. In fact, I've seen it over and over. When marriages break up, when people fall into addiction, when priorities get misplaced, when there's a conflict between two people, the first thing that people do is stop coming to church. That's the first thing they do. The church isn't the place you go when you have it all together. In fact, it should be the first place you come when everything is falling apart. This place should be the safest place on earth to break down. It should be the safest place to come to admit, I have a struggle, I have an issue, I have a hardship. The place to come when you're not at your best. And this is what Jesus is teaching here. And this is what he's trying to get the people to unlearn because they're doing it wrong. And often still in the church in 2020, we're doing it wrong. 
Because we are responsible to build a church, to build an atmosphere that when you have something in your eye, you can come here without fear that someone with a plank in their eye is going to start pointing out your failures. The truth of the matter is, none of us can reach the standard on our own without Christ's help. It is a lie that some people are better at being Christians than others. That is a false narrative that we tell ourselves to make our fleshly hearts feel better. This passage says, if you take the plank out of your eye, then you will be able to help others remove the speck from their eye. Now, listen, look closely at this. I think Jesus is brilliant because this is what he's saying. If you are so focused on keeping the planks and the specks and the junk in your eyes all clear, you are not going to have much time to even find a speck in your brother's eye. And maybe that's the point of this entire passage. Jesus isn't saying, let me give you guidelines so you can figure out when you're allowed to look at the speck in your brother's eye. He's saying, listen, just worry about you and the things that he's working on with you and the unrighteousness in your own life that you are correcting. And you will spend so much time figuring out how to remove the plank and how to get yourself right before God that you won't have any time to look around at other people and try to figure out their little things that are bothering you. It reminds me of another time in Jesus' ministry in John 8, when Jesus went to teach in the temple courts, and people gathered around him. And in this particular passage, the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. And I want to read to you what it says. They made her stand before the group, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Put down the stone. Work on your own plank in your own eye. Stop moving the bar around. Listen, Jesus said it so many different ways. He used so many analogies. But here's the bottom line. There is no room in the kingdom of God for a critical spirit. There is no room in the church for a critical spirit. There is no room at Erie First Assembly for a critical spirit. And it must stop if we want to create the church that God intended. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I want the church that God intended us to be. And we're going to need to unlearn religion so we can relearn how to love. Now, I'm going to admit one of the voices that is really hard for us to acknowledge inside of our head is this critical spirit voice. So often we do our best to kind of spin it. Uh, we say, you know, I'm just, I'm just making an observation or I'm just telling it how I see it or I'm just going to reflect on this for a while. It comes out like this. Um, I can't believe what a terrible listener she is. Or I wonder why, why they can't get their life together. 
Or uh, how can they not have any money? He, he has a good job. What are they wasting it on? It comes out like that. And I have to tell you, there is something very damaging about a critical spirit. Not just to others, but also to your own heart. Over time, when left unchecked, like the scripture says, it prevents us from seeing and appreciating the good in people. That image of the plank is so powerful because the critical spirit literally blocks the reality of a situation. You just aren't seeing it right. You just aren't seeing the person right. A critical spirit colors incorrectly our brothers and sisters in Christ. It gives you a different impression of them of what they actually are. So let's come full circle. What is the root of a critical spirit? What's the root of a critical spirit? Well, you know what? It's living under the bar. The root of a critical spirit is walking in the flesh and living under the bar. And what did we say about life under the bar? It is a life without blessing. And so what happens so often is when we settle below the bar, when we settle and say, we're just going to have a critical spirit, we're not going to work on it, this is just how I am, these are just the observations I make, we settle below the blessing. So what's the antidote to a critical spirit? Well, I think there are four things that can help us get rid of our critical spirit. I'm going to give those to you today uh, before we end. The first is we need to remember the depth of our sin, and the amazing grace of God's love toward us. We need to remember the depth of our sin and the amazing grace of God's love toward us. I want to encourage you to cry out to God, Lord, open my eyes to see myself soberly. Show me who I really am at the core. And then say, God, open my eyes to how much you love me. Do you think about this every day? The depth of your sin and the depth of God's love? In the Old Testament, when King David's uh, eyes, he, he had this moment in the Old Testament, uh, his eyes were finally opened to his sin. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He then uh, killed Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, to cover it up. And, and when he had the moment finally where he was face-to-face with his sin, he didn't merely acknowledge it as some academic, emotionally removed way. It says that David fell on his face wailed and fasted for three days. And then he experienced the forgiveness of God. And experiencing grace motivates us to extend grace. So I want to encourage you, if you have not thought about the way that Jesus has forgiven you very much or very often, then you are not going to be able to extend the grace that you're going to need to other people in your life. The second thing that's an antidote for a critical spirit is we need to be deeply convinced that we can never know with certainty another person's motives. We can never know with certainty another person's motives. You know, yes, we can see actions and, and sinful actions often and usually need confronted and, and that we can do that in a really proper biblical way. But we must catch ourselves when we hurriedly and often unconsciously make a judgment about the rest of the story. 
You know, there are so many factors beyond our knowledge that go into another's actions. And we always are quick to jump to the conclusion of why people do the way, the things that they do. But this is the truth. Only God sees the heart and only his judgment will be 100% accurate and fair. And the truth is, you need to leave that up to God. And we cannot finish the rest of the story of why we think people do and act and say what they do. Here's the third thing. Pray instead of complain. Pray instead of complain. You know, when we're bothered by another's actions, we have to pray for both the person and our response to them instantly, fervently, Listen, what would happen if we channeled all of our critical energy into a running dialogue with the creator? Because the truth is, he's the only one who can lift us over the bar. Going to our our best friend or our spouse or someone else in the church and complaining about someone doesn't fix the problem at all. And so you are just contributing to the problem. We need to remember the grace of God, remember that we cannot judge rightly everyone's motives, and we have to remember to pray and not complain. So lastly, the antidote for a critical spirit is this, to be an encourager. So instead of just trying to quit being critical or quit complaining, replace it by being an encourager. We need to be an encourager, genuinely building up others, helping them become all that they can become, all that God longs for them to become. You know, I would pray as a church, we could get excited about making others successful. We could get excited about seeing other people walk in their full calling. So instead of seeing only the downside of the people around us, let's pray for the ability to see what God is doing in other people's lives and then add our two cents in furthering along that good work. Adding in places where we can be an encouragement to them. In fact, I believe so strongly in number four being an antidote for a critical spirit that this is how we're going to respond today. Wherever you are right now, I want you to uh, grab a, a piece of paper that you have lying around or, or maybe a thank you card that you have in the drawer. And I want you to take time today to write out a note of encouragement to someone. You can sign your name, you can let it be anonymous, but make sure that you take some time to write out a note of encouragement. And this is going to be our act of faith. This is going to be our commitment to the Lord that, listen, we're taking the plank out. Like we refuse to have that critical spirit. We want to become a church that God designed and God intended And the way we're going to do that is for us to actively and aggressively attack that critical spirit amongst us and say, look, we're going to do these four things. We're going to remember our deep sin and the grace of God. We're going to have these moments where we are are just totally ready to say, we we don't know the person's motive. We, We don't know everything there is to know about why everyone does the things that they do, but God does and we can trust him. And we're going to pray and not complain. And lastly, we're going to be encouragers. And so we can become a church that Jesus described, a church where there isn't a plank in our eye and we're not walking around trying to find failures in other people, but this is a place where people can come and experience the presence of God and experience healing when they're at their worst, when they're dealing with hardship, when they're dealing with, with addictions, when things are coming back into their life that are hard. And together, as a group of, of broken people, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to say, look, we could never do this on our 
own, but we can all be completely unified on the fact that Jesus lifts us over the bar. That Jesus lifts us over the bar. And I believe God will be so pleased as we continue to move forward with that attitude and with that heart. And so will you pray with me today to close? Father God, we come before you today and we are sorry. We are genuinely sorry for the way that we have let religion make us believe that we have arrived. That we have forgotten that you aren't here just for information. You're here to change us. And so I pray for those things in our life that we still need to live above the bar. I pray for those things, those relationships, that those parts of our life that still need to live above the bar. Father, we don't want to settle for life under the bar because we don't want to settle for the lack of blessing. Lord, will you help us see people the way you do? Help us become the church where it's safe to come with any heartache, with any pain, where people can find grace and love and a bunch of people working out our planks so we can best serve you well. God, we love you, and we are so thankful for what you've done and what you're continuing to do. And God, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.